0: Good morning, so I'm very excited, I don't know if I should be this excited about the topic today, but uh, when Doug asked, hey, do you want to continue the series, Understanding the Times, I said, sure, no problem, what's the, what's the topic of discussion? He said, reproductive rights, and my wife and I, we have eight kids, and I thought, sure, we're exercising our reproductive, right? Let's go for it. But then I started digging in. And oh, by the way, I cover abortion and feminism. Wait a second. Hold on a minute. So we are gonna get into some stuff. We are gonna get after We're gonna see what the word of God says. So let's invite his spirit here with us this morning. Lord Jesus, we need you. I pray for your Holy Spirit uh, to show us your word, show us your truth, take us back to the things that you've spoken and help us to believe what you've said. I pray in all the conflict and all the chaos that we would trust you, that we would lean into you in more and more ways, showing that you are the Lord and King of our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So, we're going to get after it. We're going to start in Genesis, and let's read that together. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. This might be familiar to many of you, but I want to I want to see again what the word of God says. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say, you can't eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, But about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it, or you will die. No, you won't die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Then the woman saw that the tree was good for food, delightful to look at, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom, So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. They knew that they were naked so they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. This is the word of our God. The truth of God. And at the very beginning, this very familiar story, right? We see we know this is when sin comes into the world. We, God, we see God speak a truth. What's the truth? Don't eat from that tree. If you do, you're gonna die. serpent comes along. This is big picture here. He says, no, that's not true. You won't die. And I'm convinced that every element, every situation we run into in life Everything we decide to believe or not to believe comes down to either God said, Satan said. Any moral question, any moral dilemma, God says, Satan says. Two contrasting truth statements. You won't die, God says you will die. Who are we gonna believe? Who did Eve believe? Unfortunately, we know the story. She believed Satan, disobeyed God's commands, ate the fruit, gave some to Adam who was with her, by the way, he disobeys God, eats the fruit, and the rest is history. So all of life boils down to this, big questions, small questions, are we going to believe what God has spoken, what the truth that he has said about life, about who we are, are we gonna believe that, what's found here, or are we not? I, I see things in black and right, white, right? Can you tell that? Things, things are pretty cut and dry. Let's see what God says and believe it. Now, the problem comes is we don't. We don't. Think about all the truth claims in the world. Where did humans come, come from? Where does God say humans came from? Right? God says, I created you in my image, right here in Genesis. Male and female, he created them. What does Satan say? Satan says, monkeys, which one are we gonna believe? And you think, well, duh, Christians, we're gonna believe what God says. Look at society, society overwhelmingly non-Christians. What does society overwhelmingly believe? What did we believe before Jesus? Lies, comes down to truth and it comes down to lies. How can we be right with God? Truth claim of God, there's one way. Through the cross. Believing in Jesus Christ to be right. What does Satan say? Anything and everything else, right? All religions lead to God. He says, uh, there is no hell, by the way. Jesus who? He wasn't a real person. Anything but the truth. Satan is going to set up against the knowledge of God. And it comes down to that. And God's truth claim, we even see that when we're looking at this Understanding the Time series. God's truth, there's one human race. The lie? No, we've evolved differently. There's differences between, you know, the races on an evolutionary level. It's a lie. When we look at what God has said about race we can understand the truth. What about God's truth claim that sex is to be between a man and a woman in the covenant of marriage? Do we see any lies coming against that one? Any at all from Satan? Everything else is okay. God says no, this is the truth. And the whole purpose of this series is to demolish The lies. Let me uh, put up uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. You gonna do that for me? 2 Corinthians chapter 10. It says very clearly, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying the speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God and we're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, right? This is the basis of the series. Why are we going after topics? Why are we getting away from expositional, you know, expository preaching verse by verse? Why are we going topical? So we can take time to demolish strongholds, right? We're going after it. This isn't the taking every thought, oh, this thought entered my mind, I just need to grab it and put it in my pocket. Take that thought captive. This is demolishing the stronghold. This is, no, no, no. This is a truth claim that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We're gonna go after it. We're gonna tear it down. What are we gonna use? Slingshots? AKs? R15s? RPGs? All right, now, now I'm going down a whole nother path. Right, we have to attack the truth claims that set themselves up against the knowledge of God. That's the whole point behind this series. So we're gonna do it, we're gonna go after it. Three strongholds, and when you see, when you see strongholds, lofty thing raised up, think about this. Imagine the Lord of the Rings scene where they're, I'm not a big Lord of the Rings guy, right? But I watch it occasionally, because my wife loves Lord of the Rings. So Helm's Deep and Minas Tirath, is that how you say those things? Aren't those the same thing? I thought that was the same battle, right? You got these two big battles, enemies outside, good guys on the inside, and they're raising up these siege towers, the orcs and all the bad guys and the goblins. They're raising up these siege towers, right? And they're lobbing stuff into the, the good city. That's a lofty thing. You see the warfare description there? I want you to imagine the things being raised up against the knowledge of Christ are enemy towers, trying to lob, you know, fiery weapons and anything, anything and everything. That's the stronghold. That's the imagery here. Raising up against who? Against what? Raising up arguments against the knowledge of Christ, the truth of who God is, the truth of who, what Christ has said. Let's knock them down. Let's go after them. So we're going to do it. Three. Three truth claims and three lies. Now, Let's see if I can make this thing work here. Ha, I did it. God says, this is the truth claim. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Do you believe that? This is what God says about children. Do you believe it? We have an option, right? When we hear a truth claim, when we read something in the scripture, we can either believe it or we can reject it. Or we, no, think about it. That's also an option. I wouldn't recommend that one. Subconsciously, we're, we're even gonna do one of these things, right? Here's the truth claim of God. Here's, I'm gonna mispronounce them all, Helm's Deep and Minas Tirith. Minas Tirith. Yeah, I'm gonna butcher that one for a while, right? Here's the truth claim of God. There's gonna be a lie, there's gonna be an opposing lie. What do you think that opposing lie is? Children are a burden. You can abort them if you don't want them. That's the lie. And we're not gonna spend a lot of time on this one, this lie of abortion, because we hear it. Maybe we've gone grown calloused to it, We shouldn't, but it's in our society. It's, it's all around. This is the lie, it's a powerful one, it's a destructive one. It's not a new lie. Do you know they were killing babies back in the Greek and Roman times? There was two ways that it was happening, with drugs and with implements. We think we've evolved 2,000 years later, we're still doing the same thing. We think we've progressed morally as a society. If there's any argument for the depravity of man, abortion's a pretty strong one. That we would say, no, no, no. I don't want to keep that child. Since 1973, in the United States alone, 60 million babies have been aborted. The WHO, that wonderful organization which promotes and tries to spread the lie of abortion throughout the world in the name of women's health, estimates that every year, 73 million babies are aborted in the world. In one year, 73 million. It's a powerful lie. It's a destructive lie. The truth claim of God is Children in the womb should be protected. We see that in Exodus. We're not going to get into all the arguments of abortion. There is a question and answer time. So write down your questions, save them, and we'll interact with them after the sermon. Right? We're not going to go through all the arguments, but God causes life in the womb. That's very clear. Psalm 139, God calls people from the womb. Do you know that? From Jeremiah, the prophet, God called him from the womb. He didn't wait till he was born. The Holy Spirit was given in the womb. Luke 115, right? John the Baptist had the Holy Spirit from the womb, from inside his mom. Amazing. The Bible's not unclear on this. If you want to debate, ask questions, save it to the end, but do we engage in this lie? Do we fight the lie? Do we tear down the stronghold? Or do we say, eh, it's been around too long. It's got too strong, tired of fighting it. And you're not really technically supposed to because we're Christians. Well, that's a, that's a lie right there, right? We, Bob's class, I'm so grateful for, for Bob Frank's class. He's saying, you know, even the act of not voting is a political act. You, you can't avoid being political. Can't get away from it. We are just gonna be responsible before God for even the decisions we make on a political level. Can't get away from it. Now, children are a gift. I wanna address one thing about this and the lie, children are a gift, doesn't mean they're easy. Can I get an amen? Yeah, <laughs> I've got eight gifts. Wonderful little gifts, with bundles of joy, happiness all the time. <laughs> right? The Bible says they're a gift, that doesn't mean they're easy. Yes, it would be easier, Easier to not bring your baby into the world because your economic hardships, because you don't have a man to help, because it's I'm trying to pursue my commu- career. Whatever argument you can bring up, those are legitimate arguments against ease. It's not an argument against the right choice. And I find that fascinating that God would give a gift but a gift does not always mean it's going to be easy. Let that truth resonate. When God said that singleness is a gift, remember that, 1 Corinthians 7? We've wrestled with that, hopefully, if we've been a believer for much of our lives before we got married. Maybe you haven't. And you're like, what? What this whole idea? Singleness is a gift. <laughs> wait, wait a minute. Read 1 Corinthians 7. For those that can accept it, to remain single and not be married, you can devote yourself entirely to the Lord. It's a wonderful gift. Is it an easy one? Ask any single person you know. The gift does not mean it's going to be easy. I'm going to poke a little more. Do you know Eve was a gift to Adam? Adam? says, this woman who you gave me, you gave her to me, are your wives a gift, gift men? Say, you better say amen, amen. <laughs> right? Husbands and wives, they're gifts, doesn't mean they're easy, Right? This idea, I think about the, even the spiritual gifts, the gift of teaching. Just because you have a gift, a spiritual gift, it doesn't mean, you. well, this is gonna be easy. It's work. So don't equate the gift of God with ease. He's got gifts. And I know many of us are familiar with this lie of abortion, but don't get calloused to it. Keep fighting Proposition 115 is on the ballot. We have wonderful people who, in our church who got it on the ballot. It's a 22-week abortion ban. Read up on it. Go vote. It's going to be on the ballot in November. If you have quite more questions on it, ask me at the question and answer. Um, so, let me challenge you with one area that may not be quite so clear. Can I... Uh, ha! Look at that. I took it off. I have control. What about birth control? I'm going to go there. In college, I did a, wrote a paper. And I had all these questions about birth control. I was single. I don't even think I had met Kim yet. And I was like, I want to know. Why, why is there such a debate around it? So I studied it, and when I found out that hormonal birth control can and does prevent, I'm gonna you know, hopefully skim over the top of some of the kids here. You ex- parents can explain this to your kids later, <laughs> right? A fertilized egg, a baby, if you believe that life starts at conception can be prevented from attaching to the wall of the uterus between 6 and 12 days after conception, okay? And I had to think and wrestle with that. This is real life, right? We're getting real. The truth claim of God that I know in my mind and grew up in church and understood now came face to face with this reality of wait a second. These hormonal birth controls can and do, I'm not saying in every case, we can have that argument later, can and do prevent a conceived baby from growing. What do you do with that? These are not easy issues. I had to wrestle through it. Let's wrestle through it. The question has to be not ease, convenience. I think generally the culture and the doctors say it's okay. The question is, how do I honor Christ with my decisions? That should be the ultimate question, and I want to shift our mindset. So I'll let you wrestle with that one. I, you know, we can get into the discussion later, but these are, the, these are the kind of realities that we run into when God has a truth claim and it comes face to face with something we have thought or something our culture thinks, bam, they collide. So, that one was free. Next one, next lie. God says, you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Do you believe that? Do you believe that your body's not your own? That's a truth claim of God. What do you think the competing lie would be? Satan says, you guys know Family Feud? <laughs> Satan says, what is it, survey says? Survey says, God says this. Satan says, my body, my choice. Uh-oh, now we're getting personal. My body, my choice. You ever heard that one? Heard that argument? What are most popular people referring to? Right? Reproductive rights, abortion, those things. My body my choice. What does God say? You're not your own. You can't do whatever you want with your own body. <gasps> we live in a society of, of freedom. Restrictions are bad, right? Are restrictions bad? The truth is that God sets lots of restrictions and standards about what we can, what we should, what we shouldn't do with our bodies. Men and women. As a man, there's certain things God tells me not to do with my body. Society says, whatever you want. It's not oppressive to have restrictions on your body. Do you believe that? Oppression is a hot button word. That's that, that whole um, cultural Marxism discussion that we've had, right? If you are telling me that I can't do something, you are oppressing me. And, and that's, that's one of the lies. You guys know this one? The cultural Marxism wheel we looked at, the wheel of oppression, familiar with it? We see this a lot going around in the culture. The idea that there are people who are in power, white, male, cisgendered, Christian, and they oppress everyone on the outskirts, everyone on the, not on the center of power. Who's there? People of color, women, poor, homosexuals, right? And what's really interesting about this one to me, where do you see unborn babies? Why are they not oppressed in this model, in this lie? It doesn't fit. It doesn't fit the narrative. To me, that's a a big indication of a faulty worldview. That, That idea that, wait a second, unborn babies who are weak, who should be protected, who should be defined as oppressed, they don't make the list. They don't make the cut. So the argument is all oppression is bad. What do you think about that? If by oppression we mean restrictions or limitations, I think God says differently. Restrictions and limitations. Restrictions and limitations are like a parachute. Think about this. You go up in a plane 20,000 feet, you're going skydiving. And the instructor says, hey, I want you to put this restriction on. It's a parachute. You're going to want it. And you say, nah, I'm going to have a hard time being free, really expressing myself as I fall. You know, I'm really looking forward to that descent, and I saw, you know, Tom Cruise jump out of a plane. It's going to be awesome. Instructor says, no, I'm pretty sure you need to put this on. So now it's gonna restrict me, it's gonna limit me, right? You see the folly and the idea that limitations are bad. Restrictions are not bad, limitations are not bad, especially the ones that God puts in place. Do we believe that? Because what you're hearing in the culture in these times, understanding the times is all restrictions are bad, Do whatever you want, whenever you want. It's a free-for-all. God says no, restrictions are good. So I think we can see the deceitfulness of that lie, my body, my choice, sounds like freedom, right? But there's painful consequences. Satan is out to destroy, who are we gonna believe? And now on to the last lie. The big one. I say big one. I say most deceptive. God says men and women have different roles and responsibilities before me. Uh oh, he's going there. He's doing it. Look out. Satan says any restriction on women is oppression. There should be no distinction. Now we're getting after it. Now we're getting to some of the hard things, things that have crept into the church. We're talking about the lie of feminism. And when you say feminism, and by the way, the argument that you're not allowed to talk about feminism if you're a man, I say bunk. Right? Truth is truth no matter who says it. You don't know what it's like to be a woman. You're right. You're absolutely right. You don't know what it's like to be a man if you're a woman. That's true. True statements. Right? You can't comment on race if you're not black. That's not true. Truth is truth. You don't have to have a certain experience level. You may gain insight from having certain experiences, but you don't have to understand God's truth based on if you're male or female, okay? So, we wanna to get to the lies around feminism, the stronghold that set itself up against the knowledge of God. And we're not talking about advocating for equal rights for women. We're not talking about fair treatment of women. We're not, you know, against pro-women. Like every lie, there's truth. Satan slips in the truth. These are good things. you know God made men and women in his image? As Christians, we should be against any kind of hatred, any kind of oppression, be careful how I say that word, any kind of evil towards women, we should be against it, clearly. And here's something that I think is really fascinating. You know the term misogyny gets thrown around you better not say anything like this, you're going to get labeled a misogynist. You hate women. It means you hate women if you're a misogynist. Right? Men can be misogynists, women can be misogynists. Oh, yeah. Right? Men can be misogynists, women can be misogynists. But you know who? There's one clear person in the Bible that is absolutely a hater of women, absolutely hates and despises women. You know who that is? satan genesis 3 god says there's going to be hostility between you satan and women hostility and if i can communicate this and beg and plead if you're a woman your enemy is not men your enemy is not your husband your enemy is not Your wife. The enemy is Satan. He's the one putting up the truth claims, or the lies against the truth claims. He's the one that wants to destroy women. The ultimate misogynist, Satan himself. Hostility, hatred, aggression. So... What does God say that there, there is a difference? i put it up there. Oh. Different roles and responsibilities. This is not a popular topic, but the Bible's clear on it. In marriage, it's absolutely clear. Let's uh, put up here, it's not 2 Corinthians 10, I put the wrong one, it's, it's Ephesians 5. Very important, Ephesians five, twenty-two through 26. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the savior of the body, but as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Ephesians 5. Is there any difference here? In responsibility? In role? In marriage? Yes. Let's not shy away from it. Let's believe the truth claim of God and start with that as our foundation and build from there. How does that work out exactly? Let's find out in Christ, but let's start on that truth claim of God, right? Ooh. Ha, I can do it that way. What about in the church? There's something called evangelical feminism. It's running around. Evangelical feminism says there should be no limitations for women, as pastors or elders. Why is this a hot-buttoned topic? Maybe we'll find out in question and answer. (laughs) You guys bring it. We'll talk about it. But the Bible's clear on this issue. 1 Corinthians 14, 1 Timothy 2, Titus 2, God says the authority of the church is to be the direction, leadership of the church is to be men. We're so grateful in our church to have men who are not afraid to lead as elders, to initiate, to give direction to the church, and we submit to them in that. That's a good thing. Here, here, if I can communicate anything, it's, men stop apologizing for being a man. Women, embrace what it means to be a woman. It's different than a man. Men and women are different, and it's okay, right? It's okay to say it. It's okay to believe it. It's okay to act on it. My expression of following Christ will look different because I am a man and God created me male. My wife's following of Christ and obedience to Christ looks different because she is a woman. Those are, that's a beautiful difference. And this blurring of the lines and, well, don't really treat your boys and girls differently is a lie. Train up your boys to love Christ as men. Train up your girls to love Christ as women. Don't let the feminists, the lies of feminism, not the good parts of feminism, the women's suffrage, they don't even call, half the women's suffragists wouldn't call themselves feminists, but all the feminists call themselves suffragists, if that makes any sense, right? The woman's right to vote, it's a great thing. They would not all call themselves feminists, because they understand the connotation of feminism. So the Bible is clear, and I think men have been most deceived by this lie. Why would I say that? I'm gonna get after you men. We've become paralyzed by fear of being called a misogynist, being called a woman hater, being, well, that might be a little bit I don't want to be stereotyped as a man. But you've stopped initiating. Can I get some amens from single women? Right? You've stopped leading. Man, don't don't believe the lie. There's a difference and they are good. Let's find out. Instead of starting with the lie that says there's really no difference, roles and societal constructs, there's not much difference between men and women. Let's start with the truth about what God says and go from there. And I'm still on this journey. What does it look like in society that doesn't believe that there's difference between men and women? I don't know. I know it's pretty clear in the church what the scripture says. It's pretty clear in marriage what scripture says. What about in the workplace? Get sticky. But let's start with the assumption about what God says is true. Let's start with that as our foundation and build from there and not turn it the other way around. That's, I think, the most important thing. You've got truth claims of God. You've got the opposing viewpoints from Satan. Who are we gonna believe? All these questions can boil down to who are we gonna believe? Is Jesus, Lord, does he have the right to tell us what to do? How to live? Are his ways best? Yes. Yes. And as we disciple and encourage one another, the women just had a conference on discipleship man, as the women dig into what it means to be disciple and to disciple one another, inherent in the discussion is this, as a woman, it looks differently than it does a man. And that's okay. But it's both men and women being obedient to Christ. Jesus, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to live? How do I honor you? How do I serve you? So it shouldn't be any surprise when we see lies in our culture that directly contradict what God has said. Satan is a liar, the father of lies. He's been lying since the beginning. He wages war against the children of God, against the church. Stand up, stand firm. I'm gonna go through, ha, nope, not that one, this one. We'll end with this verse from Titus 2. Actually, let's turn there, if you have your Bibles. Turn to Titus. I know this might raise more questions than it answers, and that's fair. Let's have the discussion. Let's start the discussion based on the word of God. Stay for question and answer. I'm not afraid. Let's go after it but let's end here in Titus. I always have a trouble finding time at Titus. It's after First and 2 Timothy, Titus chapter 2. And in case you think I'm just making stuff up, the whole first chunk of Titus chapter 2 says, Older men, do this. Older women, do this. Younger women, do this. Younger men, do this. Paul teaches men and women differently. And it's okay. It's okay. Look at verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensible, righteous righteously, sensibly righteously and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Did you catch that? The grace of Christ teaches us. Do you ever think of the grace of God being a teacher? You thought about it. Who is the one that teaches and instructs? It's the grace, the grace of God. Aren't you grateful that it's His grace that teaches us and not His wrath? (laughs) What if it was God's wrath that was teaching us how to live? It's His grace. His grace bears with us in our weakness. We talk about these strongholds, these big picture ideas, but they have real consequences. There's real pain. There's real women who have had abortions. There's real pain there. Abortion's not the unforgivable sin. Right? Believing the lie about men and women is not the unforgivable sin. We all, every one of us was building the siege tower against Christ, against God. Every one of us was building that tower, raising it up, putting the timbers in place, you know, cursing Meneas Tirith, you know, cursing God in rebellion against him, building that tower of lies, supporting it. Yes, we hate God. There's nobody who wasn't in rebellion. But because of Christ, because of his grace, he took us out of rebellion, took us from one army into the other by his mercy and his grace. And his grace teaches us. He has compassion on us when we fail. He has compassion on us when we don't make it. Aren't you glad the grace of Christ teaches us So let him teach you, let him instruct you. Let him humble us to accept his truth, not be afraid to stand on it. It's not popular many times to stand on the word of God, but we gotta do it. So I'm gonna have Dave come and pray for us you guys ready for some question and answer, some lively discussion? Let's get into it. Let's get after it. I'm not afraid. Maybe a little. Ask me the questions, gatekeeper. I'm not afraid. All right, any, uh, any questions? What is this? Oh, we have one up there. Ah, children are a gift. So how do you decide where to limit the number of kids you have? Bum, bum, bum. And the right answer is? Seven. Eight. Seven. Any other numbers? Ten. Jarrett's? <laughs> right? That's a que- That's right. This is where it comes to wrestling, asking the Spirit of God, and asking the question, how do I honor you, Jesus, with how many kids we have? Right? There's certain things, personal experience, of once you have truth that you understand, once I'm understood about hormonal birth control, what it did, I had made a conscious decision, that was out. My conscience wouldn't allow it for our family. So you have to wrestle with your conscience based on what you understand the truth of God to be. So, those, so that was out and that left some other methods and we have eight kids. So. Any questions? (laughs) No, I think the asking the question, Lord Jesus, how do I honor you with my family? And if you get two, if you get one, if you get 12, if you get 13, I think, can anyone say too many kids is bad? God keeps giving you gifts. I think that would be the wrong approach. But any any disagreements? Any other thoughts? Open it up? Feel free, this is this is your time to, to chat. That's those are my thoughts. No? No? Okay. Yes, Gabe? That's just another question. Oh yeah. As in, believing that life begins at conception? That don't believe it, right. So, right, that's a great question. What if, what if life doesn't begin at conception, right? What if it's just, I know it has its unique DNA, these, this sperm and this egg, they have a unique DNA now, and they're multiplying rapidly, but when is the soul? Maybe that's just cells. When does the soul come in? I've thought of that, have you guys thought of that? When does God put the soul to the baby? Is it then? Is it two weeks later? Is it four weeks later? When does the soul come in? You guys have any ideas? Anyone wanna posit anything other than conception? I think it's a legitimate discussion, yeah. Yeah. Even if life doesn't begin at conception, um, that sperm and egg is still going to be a human being. It's not going to turn into a grapefruit. Boom. It's not going to turn into an elephant. Yep. It's going to become a human being. Yep. And you're denying that your human being existence is wrong. It's good. Yep, absolutely. Related? Oh, repeat it. Um, that, the sperm and the egg, the, the two cells, they're future is nothing but a baby, right? It's not going to be a grapefruit, it's not going to be an elephant, it's going to allow to progress, and that's the whole, if you were to stop a heartbeat, stop growth, stop progression of growth, you're ending a life in all other forms of understanding. That's why the question around the heartbeat of a baby is so critical and, and, and has been the battleground of a lot of debate because most people will acknowledge if you are stopping a heartbeat and stopping brainwaves, you are killing a life. That's what happens when you get older and you're having the question around, should we kill old people? (laughs) If you stop the brainwaves and stop the heartbeat, you're taking a life. So should you or shouldn't you, but yes? Yep. In women. Right. Yes. Whether or not they ever implant. Sure. Absolutely. And cancer. So is that way actual life stars it's at uh, implantation. Once it's fertilized, right. but then once it's in the womb. Yeah. Got you right. babies. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes, miscarried babies, as opposed to aborted, intentional versus that's just how God allowed it. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good good question. So the question is, you know, implantation is that the point of life? What do we do about all those babies that didn't make it, that weren't a result of human decision, that were a result of God's decision? Yeah. Viable, viable, and we carry that to a logical conclusion. There's a lot of people in our society right now that would not be viable on their own without outside help. We would not choose to condemn them to death as well. That's the whole. Right. Yeah. does, the discussion of what it means to be viable life. Uh, the, the Supreme Court decision, Roe versus Wade, used the term meaningful life. The court decided in 1973 that they would make decisions based on the life of a baby on what they determined to be meaningful life. And absolutely right, Chris. Well, meaningful life, what about a baby with cerebral palsy? And now they are in this world, is their life meaningful? And who are we to make that decision based on what we would understand as viable quality of life, so on and so forth, or, or the end of, end of life debate, right? A person is essentially a vegetable and they can't have meaningful life. Their life is not viable in a sense. Yeah, those are, those are tough questions, but, but I, would, I would absolutely say there's things that are in God's hands and there's things that are in our hands. And the ones that are in God's hands, He will take responsibility for. The the decisions that we make are the ones that we're accountable for, not the ones regarding, you know, whether a miscarriage happens or not. Yeah. Yeah. our choice. Hormonal birth control? Correct. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, that's a bad one. That's a good question. You have to wrestle with it. You have to wrestle with it. And I'm not going to say it absolutely is. I was convinced based on the conscience and understanding of what I believe about life. Once I firmly came to the position that life begins at conception. And I learned through our wonderful advancements in medical science that a baby doesn't implant until 6 to 12 days after conception and things that I or as a woman she puts in her body will prevent that from happening. That is a decision that you make that has consequences. Decisions have consequences. So whether they're second, third, fourth hand down the line you still have to wrestle with it. Right? It doesn't I don't know, the, the, uh, the abortion figures for, I mean, think about plan B, the pill. That's an emergency contraceptive. A lot of people think, it does the exact same thing, it prevents implantation. So what do you think about plan B? Is that okay? What about you know, something, I mean, you, you do, you, these all, your decisions. say, I don't wanna have a baby, I'm gonna take this pill, which will make me not have a baby, We've got to wrestle with those. I'm not saying I have a good answer, but uh, I came down in my conscience on that, on that side of it. So wrestle with it. That's all I'm saying. If I've done nothing else but to cause you <laughs> to wrestle with it, then I will have done, I will have done well. I just don't think you should come down to a given chance either. Hmm. Yeah, did we have any other questions? This is a good one. What do we got? Oh, gender roles. Are gender roles flexible enough to allow for greater glorifying of God? Example, a wife's job makes more money than the husband's, which can allow for greater giving. Great. Anyone want to take that one on? (laughs) Right? Um, I think. But what I see, I guess the challenge here is: Are we, yeah, are we honoring Christ? Um, Is a woman making more money than a man necessarily against honoring Christ? Right? I don't think so. Um, I think. I have, I have ideas about uh, gender roles and the workplace, but I don't think it's dependent on making more money or less money. I think as a husband and a wife, you absolutely have to say, how are we gonna honor God and our responsibilities? So, yes? Well, that's a, yeah, that's a whole other different one. This one, you could say, well, there's no kids involved. Yeah. Right? And so, well, that changes the whole question, doesn't it? Because now we're not talking about who's raising the kids, which I think there's a legitimate argument to be made there, and the, the biblical perspective toward that would be, wives, stay busy at home. Titus 2. Right? But now, yeah. So the, the implication is, are there kids involved? <laughs> Husbands, if wives make more than their husbands and the husband's insecure about it, I say get over it if there's no kids involved, right? If my wife, if all our kids leave the house and my wife goes out and get an awesome job and... The question comes down to is,
1: in that scenario, what you're talking about is not whether one spouse or the other spouse is working or the gender of who's working and who's not working or different levels of of work, is what's the role, of who is leading, who is, uh, uh, you know, yeah. how's the decision-making process being made within the family, how all that works. is a totally different issue than where individuals work. And how much money. And what the
0: financial arrangements are. Yeah, uh, you know. exactly, because if my wife all of a sudden starts making more money than me after the kids are out of the house, you know, and now she starts getting an attitude and says, Now I'm in charge and I'm going to run this relationship. Then we have an issue. So, so again, you know, the artists could make a lot of money working at home, doing whatever, not many hours, just yeah. because of the talent. And stuff. Yeah. Change. Right. So, I think the bigger question has to do with I would say there should be more of a debate around, all right. And in our society, you see it a lot. The influence is, okay, we have a man and we have a woman. We just got married. Now we have a baby. Who's going to give up their career? (laughs) That's a legitimate question in the sense of, right, but we have to wrestle with this. And is there a precedent? Should it be the man? Should it be the woman? And that's not an easy one, and it's not a popular one if you come out where I come down and say, the way God designed it and set it up, I think it should be the woman. Shoot me if you want. That's where I stand. Any other Any other thoughts on that one? Oh, Proverbs 31, making the money. Right. Yeah, and that absolutely But it does matter. I will say it, it, you're right about that in the sense that we have to be careful, but it does matter how we encourage women and how we encourage men. I'm not saying there's not exceptions, but I'm saying as a church in our discipleship, it matters in how we're encouraging our women and how we're encouraging our men. We encourage them differently. The men to be, be encouraged, like we read in Ephesians, to love their wives. <laughs> Get after it. You have a different responsibility. And loving your wife and leading your wife and initiating with your wife is gonna look differently. And you're right, it is, it's, 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 you don't want to come from the outside in and say, well, that guy has a job, you know, his wife has a job, he doesn't. I would say the relationship and how they interact, who's doing the leading, who's doing the initiating, absolutely, and is he loving his wife? Those are the questions that matter. Yeah, 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 That's good. All right, you spoke about God's grace beautifully. Thanks for that. However, you don't, don't you believe that the unconverted sinner needs to be presented the gospel of Jesus Christ by being presented the gospel with the fact that he is an enemy of God because of the wrath on him as a sinner before he is presented with the grace of God. Far too many speak of God's grace, even though his grace is beautiful, but the wrath comes first before his grace does. Absolutely, I agree. Next. I have no disagreements with that statement. I was probably just unclear about God's grace. That's fair. Yep, next one, any? No. No questions? This is, I mean, this is this is hard. It's it's not easy because what the the gender role, well, Should women generally stay at home? Should men generally be the breadwinners? Is that a biblical issue? Is it a society construct and that feminism is fighting against? What does the truth of God say? These are real things to wrestle with, right? I don't have all the answers. I'm still learning what it looks like, you know, for me as a man to interact in society with women who are not my wife. There should be a pattern of leading and initiating, I believe, and protecting of all women. I think part of the problem we're in is that we are not teaching men to protect. Well, there's no difference. And now you have problems with abuse. Now you have problems with taking it too far. I'm saying the general pattern to be, what does it mean as men to honor Christ? And it goes deeper than the husband and wife relationship. That's what I'm convinced of. As a single man or a single woman, it's different. Like your maleness and your femaleness goes to the core of who you are. It's how God made you. What does that look like? How do, how do we honor Christ with that maleness and that femaleness? It doesn't have to be in a marriage relationship. Yep, yeah, Dave.
1: Subjugate themselves to God's word. So it's a, I, I think that's a battle that I see constantly in relationships between men and women that I'm going to tell you what you do rather than
0: be subjugated to Christ in Yeah. Yeah, because it wouldn't be right coming from the woman to say, you need to love me. <laughs> right? It says right there, you need to love me. So you're saying that that wouldn't be quite right in the same way that it wouldn't be quite right for the man to say, you need to respect me. Yeah, it's that, it's that conviction. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a challenge. And, uh, and I think we, that's why, to me, it's so we have to start with the word and wrestle from there, right? These, these are questions we need to have and interact with as believers. But let's start on the foundation that God made men and women differently, with different roles, different responsibilities, And then then move on from that point. Yeah, Connor? You only touched on this briefly. When talking about leadership within the church, that it means scripturally it is a male responsibility. I was thinking of leadership as a whole in more quote unquote secular areas. Uh-huh. That's a tough one. (laughs) Thanks for asking the easy one, Connor. (laughs) Yeah, right? Because it's easy to come down in scripture in marriage. It's easy to come down in scripture in the church. Society? Can we generally counsel people one direction or the other? Do you have any good scripture on that one? (laughs) Deborah was the judge. Yeah, Deborah. Everyone loves Deborah, right? Hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, ability and empowerment—that's an interesting discussion. Does ability give permission? If you have the ability to be a pastor as a woman, you would do a great job does that give you permission? Some people use the words that you make it spiritual. A woman has the gifting of God to be a pastor. Why would you, if God gave her the gifting, why would you limit her from being a pastor elder, right? It's ability, ability doesn't give permission. I have the ability to do a lot of things that I shouldn't, that God tells me not to do, right? So ability, empowerment, spiritualize it, whatever you will, we have to start with the foundation. This is what God says, and and move on from there. Yeah, yes, Beth. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's uh, in the sense that the husband and the wife, you know, if if it's disrespectful to a husband, you know, for a wife to do this job or whatever, right? Absolutely. There needs to be that consideration within marriage. I think we got to be careful though, that we, we don't not say Therefore, we can't encourage all women towards these things and we can't encourage all men towards these things because we absolutely should. I think we should be raising our daughters to love their husbands, to respect their husbands, to prepare a home. There's nothing wrong with that, that's not sexist. There's nothing wrong with saying, men, my boys, I'm gonna raise my boys to protect women, to honor women, to treat them differently than men. That's a good thing in the eyes of Christ. Well, I don't think that's yeah. I think it's, I think what Penny say, I say that sometimes it just doesn't look funky. You're honoring mm. the goals that God has given us I and mean, there's just freedom in that. Yes, yes, looking funky is different than being funky. <laughs> right? I mean, I'm, I look funky, but I you know, perfectly normal. Yep. Yes. How come you guys don't grill Doug like this? Like, you give it this side. Like long question and answer, man. But it's fun. I enjoy it. I hope you guys are getting stuff out of it. If not, feel free to walk out. I have no problem with that. Christian Missionary Alliance, it's interesting that you say that because they are absolutely right in the middle of this discussion. We just attended a um, conference with other Christian Missionary Alliance church up in Denver. And I would say this church was on the minority side of the issue of allowing women pastors and elders in the Christian Missionary Alliance. Very, we were on the minority side in that regard. So, yep, Christian Missionary Alliance, Southern Baptists. Um, you know, some, some denominations, this isn't even an issue. Oh yeah, it's been settled. Now they're moving on to, you know, should we allow gay pastors or not? That's the, that's the bigger issue. What, what, oh, 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 huh? Yes, you would have a great expression. Right, that's fair. So that I just didn't make i made a jump, didn't I? Yeah, yeah. You're yeah. Right. yeah. But you're right, absolutely. That's fair because uh, Stumbo and the leaders of the Christian Missionary Alliance are moving that direction of allowing individual churches to make the decision about whether they allow pastors and elders. Right. I would say that's true. I would also say that if this church went and made a decision, it would be in the minority of the decisions. Is that fair? Yes, good. This is good, it's fun. Let's do it. Any other, any other thoughts, any other questions? I know I'm not answering them well and I don't anticipate to do it well. Yeah, when you're talking about when <laughs> when they, yeah, 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 he, had, he addressed the man and said, by the toil of your, right. the sweat of your brow, you're going to produce things out of the ground, and to the woman, your curse is pain in childbirth, right? But he, but the emphasis I got was childbirth, I mean, hmm. because he had already ordered multiply. Yeah. So it was like a double job for him. <laughs> Yeah, yes, I I absolutely think that inherent in the nature of what it means to be a woman is is child rearing, child bearing. Although you won't fully, you know, there's whole ideas about what about singleness? Am I not gonna fully express my womanhood if I don't have kids? No, right? There's ways that we follow Christ as a woman, but in the nurturing and receiving of leadership, Absolutely, I think there's something tied inherently to femaleness that is different and is, if you're married, wrapped up in the raising of children. And in the, in the, as, a, as a man, there is something inherently wrapped up in providing, protecting, being the breadwinner, if you will. Yeah, absolutely, and, and I know this this gets sticky on that, and just because the man is not always the one, you know, winning, winning the bread, but I think in general, that's where, where we need to go. Yeah, and I know it's not popular, not even in Christianity, but I'm gonna stand on it. I'm gonna be bold about it. So, yes, Beth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yeah, absolutely, the, the treatment of, of widows is, uh, is very different than the treatment, female widows is different than the treatment of male widows, for good reason. There's not, not anything wrong with treating female widows different than male widowers. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, good. I hope I didn't raise more questions than I answered. Any, any, anything else come in, Alicia? Grill Doug, will you promise me to grill Doug like this next time? Will you promise? Mm, no, you said you're an easy target. I see. All right, guys, thank you so much. It's been fun. Let's challenge each other. Let's wrestle with this. Don't just say, "Well, I've heard this my whole life." Let's go to the Word. Let's go to the Scripture. Trust it. Yep. Good.